welcome to 101 Days Away. This week, I'm in Cambodia. I have made it to Siem Reap. I am joining a tour group, and today we're visiting a floating village, and tomorrow we're going to Angkor Wat, and we'll see how this goes. The tour company, unfortunately, hasn't impressed me. They're really bad with logistics, which is kind of why you hire a tour company. So it could be an interesting few days. I have joined the tour group and we spent this afternoon visiting a artist collective where they produce silk from the very beginning. It's the whole process. They make the silk, they create the thread, they weave it, they make fabric, they make scarves. It was just really fascinating to see the process and I had no idea how time intensive it was. Now we've boarded a boat and we are heading to a floating village. We are at a market in the middle of a lake, which is part of the floating village. And as we docked, our boat became surrounded by local families who make money by having their children drape live snakes over them and then charge tourists to take photos of the children with the snakes. It's just after sunrise in Angkor Wat. It's absolutely beautiful here. I'm a little upset because we missed most of the sunrise. Our tour guide didn't time it very well, so it's kind of a bummer we missed the sunrise, but it's amazing to be here. Anchor Wat looks and is a lot bigger than you would expect, and it's really easy to get lost inside. There's just a maze of passageways that seem to go on forever. Most people come here for sunrise, not only because of the beautiful scenery, but because it gets so hot here. You come at sunrise mostly so you can just beat the heat. It's not even 6.30 yet and I'm already sweating. It seems hotter here than it does anywhere else. A procession of women dressed in all white is walking through, guided by some monks in their brightly colored orange robes. They were all at a sunrise service this morning. Anchor Wat was built in the 1100s. It took 37 years to build and then in 1432, it was abandoned by the Hindus, and then later it became used by the Buddhists. At one point, it was filled with Buddhas and used for Buddhist ceremonies. Now the Buddhas are gone, but the Buddhists still have pagodas here and use this as a place of worship. Also, I hope that I'm getting this information right. The tour guide doesn't seem to have the biggest grasp on what's going on or what he's talking about, so I'll do some fact checking. Here are the things that I have learned about going to Angkor Wat. First and foremost, you should get there for the sunrise. Not only is it beautiful, it's a great way to beat the heat because it does get really hot there. The gates open at five. You need to get a ticket, which is in a different place. So do that the day before. The ticket office opens at five and it stays open until 5.30 in the evening. So you have plenty of time to do it. Go in person, they put your photo on the ticket so you need to be there. Save the ticket because it includes entrance to all the sites within the Anchor Archaeological Park. When you arrive at Anchor Wat first, you will go on a bridge that will take you over the moat. Anchor Wat is surrounded by a moat. And then you will walk towards the temple itself. There is a reflecting pool, which is a great place to stop and take photos. The gates to the Anchor Wat site open before you're actually allowed into the temples, but that's fine because you're gonna to wanna to take pictures anyway, especially for the sunrise. 
Within Angkor Wat, there are lots of galleries to explore, and most of the surface area has been carved with bas relief. The reliefs depict religious iconography, as well as scenes from daily life during the time of the Khmer Empire. One of the more common themes that you will see throughout the space is Apsara. Apsara is the female spirit of the clouds and water, and she is depicted dancing. And the Apsara dance, which was created in more recent times, is the national dance of Cambodia. Once you find your way through the long maze-like galleries, you'll find yourself in the middle of the structure, and that is where the large temples are. You can climb up the stairs. There are wooden stairs that have been added on top to protect the structure, but also to make it easier for you to make it up to the top. And then once inside, there are statues of Buddha and areas where the Buddhists do come to give offerings and meditate. There's a lot to see at Angkor Wat, so plan on staying for about two to three hours. And then since your ticket does include all the sites that are part of the Angkor Archaeological Park, you'll probably want to move on and see some other places too, like Angkor Tom and Ta Premp. We're leaving Angkor Wat. It has heated up very rapidly here, so I'm ready for some cold, cold water and some air conditioning. We're going to go see some more sites, and then I think we're calling it a day right around 1, which means I can lounge by the pool and relax and make the plans I need to make to come back here tomorrow. So I'm at Ta Prom Temple. It's famous for two reasons. The first is that nature's taken over. There's a tree growing out of the middle. It's very beautiful. Second reason is that they filmed Tomb Raider here, so you might know it from that movie. Ta Prong was originally built by Buddhists and then taken over by the Hindus, which is the opposite situation of Angkor Wat, which was originally built by the Hindus and is now used by the Buddhists. Nature has really successfully reclaimed the space. There are trees growing everywhere. They're growing into the rocks, out of the rocks. There's roots taking over. It's caused a lot of destruction. There are lots of pieces of temple, giant rocks that are just kind of crumbling down, covered with moss. It's clearly been abandoned for a very long time. Top Prong is being restored. It's a massive project because there are just tumbles of bricks all over the place. A lot needs to be put back together. The other struggle is that the trees growing out of the buildings are very beautiful, so they want to maintain some of that too. The Indian government is providing funds for this project. While most of the destruction was just caused by nature over time, there was some human destruction as well, and at one point, a sculpture of Buddha was destroyed. There's a lot of elaborate carvings here. One of the more notable ones is of an image that looks like a stegosaurus, and it's a bit of a mystery. I'm at my third temple of the day. I'm now at Anchor Tom. It's known for its massive gate that you go through when you enter the complex. The tall gate has an image of a face, which makes it really iconic. It's very well known here. When we arrived at Anchor Tom, I was very confused, mostly because my tour guide didn't give me any factual information. <laughs> Anchor Tom translates to Great City, and it was the capital of the Khmer Empire. It is a massive complex of buildings. There's over 50 temples and structures, so there's a lot to see. And this space was occupied in the 12th century and abandoned in the 17th century. Once I entered the gate of Angkor Tom, we climbed up and now we're walking along the city wall. There are five towers. The one we entered through was the Victory Tower, 
which is where the military would all leave the city through that gate when they were going to battle. We've come to the Elephant Terrace, which is within Anchor Tom. This is where the king would come to see the elephants that had been trained for war. Elephant Terrace itself is a long viewing platform and it's decorated in elephant carvings and sculptures. We're making our way to the Royal Residence, which is just behind Elephant Terrace within Anchor Tom. It was built in the 900s. Our final stop of the day is Bayan Temple, which is a temple within the Anchor Tom complex. Bayan Temple is one of the most well-known sites within Anchor Tom. The thing that makes it distinctive are the 216 faces that are carved throughout the space. The temple was originally built in the late 12th or early 13th century by a Buddhist king of the Khmer Empire. But by the mid-13th century, there was a different king who was Hindu, so there has been some alteration done to the temple. As the population of the Khmer Empire shifted between Buddhism and Hinduism, temples were altered. In some cases, carvings on the walls might have been damaged or removed. In other cases, sculptures were brought in to match the new religion. Angkor Wat is the most well-known temple in Cambodia, but there are so many others to see in Siem Reap. You can easily spend an entire day or two going from temple to temple. Because it does get so hot in Siem Reap, most people do their sightseeing as early in the day as they possibly can, just so they beat the afternoon heat. The afternoons here are usually spent resting, and a lot of people use the time to enjoy their hotel pool. I have come back to Angkor Wat this morning to see the sunrise, and we actually did get to watch the sunrise. Pretty much the beginning to end, definitely worth it. I would have regretted not taking the opportunity if I didn't do it today. After Siem Reap, I headed back to Phnom Penh. I spent one day seeing the major sites with a tour guide, and then I spent the next day on a wildlife tour that I found online. My day of sightseeing in Phnom Penh did involve learning about the Khmer Rouge and visiting the Killing Fields and the Genocide Museum. So this podcast is about to get a little bit more serious than it has so far. The Royal Palace is a whole compound of buildings. Yes, the king really does live there and his home is on the compound. But there's also a massive throne room which is decorated with elaborate chandeliers. There are stupas, which are memorials to past kings, queens, and princesses. There's a pagoda. The pagoda is decorated with silver tiled floors, something I've never seen before. They're carpeted so you can walk over them, but the building itself is filled with dozens of different Buddhas, including one big shrine to him. The shrine to Buddha has two very notable Buddhas. One is made of gold and decorated in diamonds, and another has been carved out of emeralds. Emeralds and diamonds are two of the big gemstones that are found here in Cambodia. After visiting the royal palace, we headed to the killing fields and then the genocide museum. During a span of four years in the late 1970s, 1.7 million people were brought to the killing fields and murdered. They were brought here at night on trucks and then beaten to death, put into mass graves, and then chemicals were poured over the top. It reduced the smell, and it killed anyone who was buried alive. It's a very grim place to see. You walk along a path, and there are divots and hills in the land, and there are bits of clothing sticking out that the victims were wearing when they were murdered. Apparently, the rainy season helps bring some of the clothing to the top every year. In the center of the killing fields, there's a memorial to those who died. It's 
filled with the skulls and bones and fragments of clothing that have been found. And there's over 5,000 skulls. It's a very sobering experience seeing this. Cambodia is such a beautiful place, but it definitely has some darkness in its past. The Khmer Rouge came into power at the end of the Cambodian Civil War. In a period of time between 1975 and 1979, 25% of the Cambodian population died. There's no exact figure, but people think at least 2.2 million people died. The deaths were due to executions, famine, and death by preventable diseases. In 1979, by the time the Khmer Rouge were overthrown, Cambodia was left without schools, hospitals, universities, and many churches were closed. Next, we've come to the prison where the Khmer Rouge would bring people before they take them to the killing field. Here, they would question people and torture them. They were only allowed to agree to things, never allowed to defend themselves. A lot of people died while being tortured, and then if they did survive, they were brought straight to the killing fields. The prison was originally a school and a blackboard with chalk writing still left on it, still hangs. But now it's surrounded by cells, small brick cells that were used to hold prisoners. Going from the fields to the S21 prison, which is now the Genocide Museum, is such a heartbreaking experience. It's hard to fathom how many people died and it's truly shocking that it happened in such recent history. Parts of it are overwhelming. There are hundreds of photos of the people who were murdered. There are photos of the people who perpetrated these crimes. And there are drawings on the walls which depict some of the ways that people were tortured. It's so gruesome, it's so hard to think about. It's not the most lighthearted visit, but it's an important part of Cambodian history and it's something that you should learn about if you come here. The rest of our itinerary is a bit more lighthearted. We'll be going to a museum and then another temple. I had a traditional lunch at a restaurant that focuses on teaching young people from poorer families how to work in the hospitality industry. I had stir fry and amok, which is a local meal with fish and a curry sauce and spring rolls. It was great. And now we're at the National Museum of Cambodia. The National Museum houses a wide variety of sculptures, both Buddhist and Hindu, that have been taken from different temples for safekeeping. It's easy to explore in just an hour or two. There's a lot to see, and it's interesting to see the different representations of Buddha and how they vary based on where they were created. Our final stop for the day is Wat Phnom. It is built on a hill, a man-made hill, and it was built after a woman found five statues. It was built to house them. Wat Phnom is a lot smaller than the other temples I've been to. This is a Buddhist temple and it was built after a lady whose name was Pen, found five statues. So the temple was built to house these five statues. Inside the temple, there is one big statue of Buddha surrounded by many smaller statues. I've come back to the National Museum. They do a traditional dance show here, and I'm gonna see the Apsara dance performed tonight, which I'm very excited about. I am so glad I went to the dance show because it was amazing. They're so talented, and I love how they wove stories into the dances. 
So they were doing traditional dances, but they wove it into stories that represented their culture and their mythology. I'm spending my day with the Wildlife Alliance. It's a New York City-based NGO, and they're helping Cambodia's native animals to survive. It's a rescue center, and they also re release 80% of the animals back into the wild. The animals that they keep here at the center are being nursed back to health or are unable to be released back. Most of the animals that come here come from the animal trade. They find people that are trying to sell them as pets and they get confiscated and then brought here. Some animals are also found in the wild and are injured. And here they are able to be nursed back to health and if possible, they get released back into the wild. We've been introduced to Lucky, a 20-year-old elephant that was rescued when she was just six months old. And she can't be returned to the wild, but she lives here at the Wildlife Center. We're going on a walk with her and she is eagerly following a bucket full of fresh watermelon which she'll get to snack on later. Elephants don't have great eyesight, so they respond to verbal commands. And if you say a coon, which is the local language for thank you, she bows her head and then she gets food as a treat. Much of an elephant's memory is tied to smell. And when Lucky came here, she was cared for by a man who loved cigarettes and coffee. So she loves those smells. She's already tried to take coffee away from somebody. And she picked up a cigarette butt on the ground, which we had to take away as well. <laughs> there's a wide variety of animals here. There's monkeys and gibbons and elephants. There's a lot of birds and they do take in a lot of snakes. Some of the animals have been brought in from zoos that aren't run very well. That's where some of the tigers and snow leopards have come from in the past. There's also animals that I never knew existed, like the binturang, which kind of looks like a sloth crossed with a monkey, crossed with a bear. And they smell like popcorn. It's very unusual. Thank you for tuning in. Next week's episode will be about visiting Nepal. Thank you.